He is the lover of my soul. In life and death, he is in control. His love and mercy has no end. He is an everlasting friend. He is my stronghold. He helps me stand. He is my rock. He is my right hand. He is my shield, my fortress, my stay, more precious than gold, unfailing always. Do you know him? He will bless the seekers of his righteousness. He is my shepherd. I am his sheep. He is my comforter when I weep. He is the vine. He is salvation. I'm the beginning, the end, the God of creation. From everlasting to everlasting, the living breed within my fasting. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is hope within my strife. He is a father, kind and tender. Do you know him, my soul's defender? He is my deliverer. He is my king. He is my boasting. He is my wing. He is my refuge, my strength, my song, my help in trouble, my cornerstone. He is holy. He is judge. He, and in his decree, he will never budge. In his, in, he is the lion and the lamb, Alpha Omega, the great I am. He is the thunder. He is a dove. Do you know this God of love? He, he is my defense. He is my light. He is day within my night. He is my healer. He is my grace. He is the reaper we will all face. He is humility, glory, and power. He is undefeated in his darkest hour. Conqueror of victor, he is head of both living and the dead. He is bright and morning star. Do you know him, the dear Savior? Do you know the one who died, the one with pierced hands inside? Do you know the one who bore the whole world's sin whilst he wore upon his brow of thorny crown? As crimson love, tears flow down. Do you know the one who cried, it is finished as he died? To set the captive sinner free and gave us life abundantly, do you know him, the Holy One, Jesus Christ, God, precious Son? Do you know this friend of sinners who transformed losers into winners? Do you know this God of love? He's down below, he's up above. He holds the world within his hand. Do you know his love so grand? Do you know him in all you do? I dearly hope so, for he knows you. God, I thank you for today. God, I say this over and over again, but thank you for your word. <laughs> My God. It's so deep. There's so much truth. There's so much life in your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you move in this place. And the thing is, is that you're already moving, and so I'll ask it a little bit differently. God, I, I pray over myself and each person here, and each person that's listening online, that you give us just an attunement, a sensitivity, a, a an awareness of your spirit, of where he's moving, of how he is speaking to us. Spirit, I ask that you bring conviction. I ask that you bring about a deep and true repentance.
I ask that you speak through me. I ask that you calm every heart. You remove every distraction. God, here for the next 30 minutes, however long this is going to be, that you reveal the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, to each and every one of us at our points of need. God, we love you. And just by being here is an act of worship to you. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as Kyle uh, mentioned, um, I-, I found out for sure that I was going to be preaching yesterday. So... Um, that's a lot of fun, but I actually, um, I, I had texted David, I knew he wasn't feeling well as soon as Wednesday, so he did give me a little bit of lead time, but thought he would be preaching, but anyway, um, it, it, was, it was a thing, so yeah, um, before we really get into it, I, I just want to call out, um, please don't stand up, but like Josh, Andrew, BJ, uh, Stephanie, James, I know Chris is up here a lot. Guys, thank y'all so much for what you do. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if y'all just like got on my Spotify playlist and just picked all of my songs yesterday, but man, y'all were hitting it on the head today. I especially appreciate that, man. Um, especially while like spirit was leading me. Like I just, I just felt like the spirit was right here and I just wanted to run up to the stage and start preaching immediately. So guys, thank y'all so much. Uh, I don't think y'all are thanked enough. Uh, y'all are so faithful and I just love what you do, and I admire all of you. So, yeah. Anyway, to get right onto it, um, you can open your Bibles. We'll, we'll get into our main text here in a moment. Sean, you're gonna have to handle the slides. I lost the uh, clicker. Oh, hey, it's right there. <laughs> anyway, you can open up your books uh, to Acts chapter nine. We're gonna be covering verses uh, one through. Nine. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, that sounds really familiar, you're right, because we just covered that about a month ago. Actually, David just covered that a month ago, and, and God gave me this word last week while uh, Patrick was preaching, and, and, and man, it is terrifying covering over the same passages that your pastor just covered over, right? But uh, he had a wonderful sermon. I le- learned so much. I just want to be super absolutely clear. He did not miss a thing. This is not like a, uh, I'm, I'm covering something that, that should have happened. It's just God gave me this word, and, 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 and here's where we're at. And so, yeah, and, and so within that, Pastor David, he, he's been covering, he's been teaching, he's been preaching over the book of, of Acts. And I don't know if there's another book in the Bible like the book of Acts. It is an amazing book. It's all about our early church history. And there are so, I won't, I don't, won't call them characters, but just people. There are amazing Christian, godly men and women. And you just get hit over and over with Peter and Paul and, and Stephen. And it just goes on and on and on. And, and it is just so convicting. It is so inspiring. It is so... It's almost scary just seeing the things that they went through, knowing that you may go through some of those things as well. But one of the biggest characters, one of the biggest, I dare even say most important people in that book, in my opinion, outside of Jesus Christ, is Paul. 
He was such an amazing human being. Broken, sinful, but just, just absolutely crazy. I mean, just the knowledge and intellect, the entombment that he had with the Spirit, the things that he went through. I mean, he got bit by a snake and laughed it off in the Spirit. Right? He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was kicked. He was kicked out. He, it, it, I think David at, least, at one point taught that he just about literally died and was possibly raised back to life. Like this man knew God and he knew Jesus and he had been affected by Jesus and what he had done for him. And once he encountered Jesus Christ, he was never the same. But Paul wasn't always known as Paul. Yes, that was his given Roman name. But we know him by a different name in the Bible. And I'm going to be switching between Paul and Saul this whole time, so you know who I'm talking about. But in Acts, we're given the man Saul of Tarsus. He's a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's part of the most strict sect in Judaism. He knows his Bible back and forth. He he grew up in the cosmopolitan city of of Tarsus, which is known as a little uh, little Athens for learning in Greek and Roman culture. There he would have been acquainted with the philosophy and the poetry of the Greeks, which you later see in in his future writings. Paul's family, possibly, was fairly influential and wealthy, uh, evidenced by the fact of his Roman citizenship, which is not entirely common uh, amongst the Jewish people of that time. At age five, and this is just a Pharisaical tra- tra- tradition, this isn't necessarily something special, but at age five, he goes to school and he starts to learn and memorize and learn how to dissect the Word of God, Scripture, at five right? That's crazy. And then later on in life, like he, he, he's, he's rising up, like his, his intellect and his knowledge, his zeal and fervor for God in the scriptures, it, it brings him to uh, Jerusalem where he stun, studies under, I'm going to get this name wrong, but uh, Gamaliel, who is, is actually a noted Jewish rabbi, like outside of, of the Christian faith. Like he, he is a noted, good, whatever you want to call it, Jewish rabbi that he studied under, Saul studied under him. Paul, Saul, before we know him as Paul, was an amazing man. Once again, he was a Jew of Jew, Hebrews of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. His intellect was crazy. His knowledge of Scripture was, was above uh, his, his peers. He was rising up to the top of his class. He had a zeal and a fervor for God, at least so he thought, like no one else. And we see that zeal for God beginning in Acts 9, 1. And it gives us a continuation 
Saul is continuing to do this. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's continuing this from the previous chapter, right? Uh, David, he had an amazing sermon on this. I learned so much when he was talking about Stephen, and he was just like this nobody, know-nothing guy, like without probably like a lot of, of scriptural training and everything else, but he goes up against the religious elite of the day and is able to point to scripture back to Jesus Christ. And, and they couldn't refute him. They couldn't defend against him. And so what did they do? They killed him. And it says in Acts 8.3, and Saul approved of their killing. And from that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Luke records that fact. Let's just, let's just listen to that real quick, because he actually, I think three times he says this, that Paul dragged off both men and women. He ripped families apart in God's name, and he thought he was doing good. And Jesus, here's the thing, he, he told him that this was going to happen. In John 16, too, he said, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming that when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. Saul thought he was serving God by ripping these families apart, by putting them in prison, by trying them and approving of their killing. And he ravaged Jerusalem. He ravaged the church in Jerusalem to do it. Paul, Saul, was a proud man. He was arrogant. But that would soon change. If you note in the previous verses that I just mentioned that, it, that as the church was being ravaged in Jerusalem, where did they go? They went out. They ran away. In the persecution, they fled. And so Paul sees this. And so it's not enough for Paul to defend his faith to someone else's death. But Paul sees them fleeing, and he's like, no, no, no. I don't want them just out of my holy city, out of this Jerusalem. I, I, I am going to go chase them down and bring them back here because they need, they, they need to see justice. What they're doing, they are a threat to this Jewish faith that I hold so Dear. And so it says that he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus is about 150 miles away. It's a week or two journey. That's a long way away to go get. Hmm. So that if you found any there that belonged to the way, to our faith, whether men or women, once again, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now the thing here is, just a quick aside... Gamaliel, if I'm saying that wrong, forgive me. You remember that guy Paul studied under him? Let, let's, let's go back a, a few chapters, four chapters, in Acts 5.38. And so uh, they're in this big council. I think uh, they're getting on. Matt, can you help me out here? Uh, Gamaliel, they're in the big council. Acts chapter 5. Is it Peter? Okay, I believe so. Cool. Yeah, he, he, Peter and the apostles. They, I mean, they are, they are trying them, telling them to stop talking about Jesus, right? And Gamaliel stands up in front of everyone and says this, So in the present case, I tell you this, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. 
you might even be found opposing God. So while Paul studied under this good rabbi, he obviously didn't listen. Paul had his own agenda. Paul had his own thing that he wanted to do, and he did it. He did it. And so he makes the week or two journey, travels over 100 miles to Damascus. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. We heard Matt preach on this a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, maybe a little longer, whatever it was. What happens when you encounter the presence of God? And Jesus, he's coming down in his glory. And so we see that as a light flashing from heaven. And Paul, uh, Saul hears Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I read a lot of commentaries that really focused on this word right here. I want to tap on it like David does, but I think that would kill me. I can't do that. Yeah. But we see, I've read a lot of commentaries, and they talk about this, and then they point it back to application into today. And it's like, well, if, if I gossip about Chuck, I'm just going to pick on you, Chuck, then I, it's like me persecuting the church. And if I, if I disrespect Chuck's authority because he's an elder, then it's like I'm persecuting the church. And I really struggle with that because, I mean, if we're reading about Paul, Paul, Saul literally ripping families apart, being put into prison, going to rot in jail to be tried, fined, killed, whatever it may be. That, 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 doesn't, like, that doesn't compare to the little bit of gossip that I have. And I, and I don't want to call that persecution. But when I look at it a different way, the, what, the word I focus on is this. I'm going to do it. Me. I won't do that again. I don't like that. <laughs> The word I see is, is me. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He's not saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my disciples? He says, me. It's like when you're doing that, when you're hurting those who follow me and those who believe in me, you're doing that to me. You know, we read over and over again in Scripture that, that Christ is the head and that we're the body. Right, that, that we read over and over again that we're in Christ. Can you guess who wrote a lot of that? That guy. <laughs> right, where do you think he got it from? Why are you persecuting me? But this is what killed me, because we're going to go back to the gossip thing. Chuck, can I pick on you for a little bit? Yeah, okay. So let, let's say here, like, you know, so to me, I read it in this way. Like, if, if Christ's response to me doing something to another Christian is instead of, hey, let me punish you, let me discipline you, let, let, let's, let's, let's address the fact that you're doing just this, uh, this thing to somebody that follows me. It, no, it's, it's you're doing this to me. And, and so I read this as, Parker, Parker, why are you gossiping about me? Why are you talking about me behind my back? Jesus is saying, Parker, Parker, why would you? you disrespect me in that way. Parker, Parker, why are you judging me? Why do you struggle in your judge, judgment towards me? And I see this over and over again, even in this church, and I see it in my heart. That's why I'm not using somebody else's name here. This killed me. We see it all the time in our response to other churches. 
and with people that maybe worship a little differently than we do or may believe a few different things than we believe. They don't have the right doctrine. They don't have the right theology. Maybe their church is doing better than us and we're jealous. Maybe their church isn't doing as well as us and so we think we're superior in some way. And so I see again, Parker, Parker, why are you treating me in that way? The thing is, Jesus told us that we will be known or that He will be known in us through how we love each other. And we do a terrible job at it as a church. And when we gossip about each other, when we talk about each other behind our backs, when we disrespect those that God put above us, When we don't fully love each other, not only are we doing that to Jesus, we're not doing it to that individual or that group of people, that church. We're, we're, we're acting in that way towards Jesus Christ. We're also not showing his love. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Saul just got knocked down flat on his face. What the heck happened, right? We're going to move right along through this. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He had to say it twice. <laughs> what shall I do, Lord? I, Paul asked. I didn't know that was in there. Oh, wait, no. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to go over this again. I want to cover this real quick, all right? So this, this Damascus Road experience, we'll call it, right? Um, this, it's actually covered three times in Acts. It's, first is now. This is Luke's account in Acts 9. Then we have Paul defending himself, I believe, against the Jewish council, some Jewish people. In Acts 22, that's where we have this, uh, where that's where that happens. So Jesus, like, who are you? What will you have me do? And so I place it there, and then uh, I think it's in 26, I don't, I don't remember the, the chapter exactly, but we have this three times, and Paul gives a little bit more each time. So Jesus tells him, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound. They saw the light. Presumably they also fell down, and they stood up. Paul later describes in a bit different way that they saw and they heard, but they didn't comprehend. They didn't understand. It says that Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. He was so affected by what had happened to him. I don't really think he fasted. I think he just couldn't eat or drink. Right? Like it worked on him so much. And that's it. Not really. <laughs> I'm only going to leave you hanging that for too long. <laughs> Paul did amazing things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amazing things. Actually, I want to say that differently. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, did amazing things through Paul. The thing is that he had to get himself out of the way first. And then I'm going to say that differently as well. Paul didn't get himself out of the way. Jesus came and did that. 
So I'd like to take the remaining time that we have, and I want to cover this one more time in a little bit different of a way. So we've established who Paul is. We've established what's happened. So let's try to see things a little bit through Saul's eyes here. He's grown up his whole life, Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. No one equals his intellect. No one equals his pride. No one is quite like Saul of Tarsus. He is raising up to the top. Saul is a proud man. Saul may even have a touch of arrogance, but Saul has a zeal. He has a love for the Lord, his God. He has a love for Scripture, and he has a love for the Jewish faith. And then this Jesus comes along, starts preaching blasphemy and heathenism in his mind. And he sees these Christians, and they are nothing but a threat to what he sees as salvation for the whole world. And in his pride, in his arrogance, in his zeal, in everything else that he is, he goes out and he is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's wishing death upon them, and in some ways, he's voting for it. He's making sure that they're tried and that the sentence is death. And he's doing it because of his, quote, love for God. And in his zeal, he he goes to the person that's above him, the high priest, said, hey, you need to let me and go to Damascus. I need to chase these heathens down because they are still a threat and they need to be eliminated. They need to be taken care of. He gets permission to go and rip families apart. So once again, He's traveling. It's about 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. David already talked about this. You know, it's about a week or two journey. And in here, he's probably about a day's way, a day away from reaching Damascus. In his head, he is thinking about all the things he's going to do. He's making up all the plans. He's got every, if he doesn't have everything figured out, he is sure of himself. He is going to get it figured out when he gets there. And he's going to make sure that justice is done. Another point that Paul brings up is that this happened about midday. What's interesting about that, according to uh, theologians, commentaries, and everything else, uh, is that, uh, that this, uh, this whole interaction here with Jesus, it happens at midday. And so typically travelers at that time, they, they would be traveling, and then about midday they would stop and take a break because it would be too hot. They would go find some shade and then continue when the, when the heat abated, right? But those that were really in a hurry, that had a place to go, somebody that had a mission from God, at least though he thought, so he thought, he was traveling midday to, to express, hey, I was moving, I was going, I was on a mission, I was doing my own thing and doing what I thought was right. He was nearing Damascus on his journey, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ came down to him, and he met the glory of God right then and there. And Matt said it. You, you got example after example after example. What was it, Nikki? Peter, John, and who else? Peter, John, and James. They saw the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what happened to him? 
They fell on their face. And there's example after example of this in the Bible, and guess what? Paul knows it. But here, he is, he, he, is, he, is, he is experiencing the glory of God. He can do nothing else. He falls down to the ground. And he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What? He knows the scriptures, right? He knows what happens when you meet God. And he's doing it. Not out of obedience, because you don't have a choice when you see the glory of God. But he is face down on the ground. He, he's like, I, this, this should be it. I think this is God. He's got something for me. And it's Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I'm not persecuting you. I'm chasing after those filthy Christians that are a threat to my faith or a threat to you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Why are you saying I'm persecuting you? So what other response can he have? But who are you, Lord? This isn't just a, who are you, sir? This isn't who are you, like, oh, you're a great title or anything. Who are you, Lord? Because, God, I don't know what this is. I don't know who this is. I don't, I don't know what's happening. This is out of my category. I don't have a context for this right now. I don't know who I'm persecuting. I don't understand. I am Jesus. Stop. See in movie after movie after movie, some kind of traumatic experience. Maybe somebody hears uh, something, you know, something in, in, in the movie, the character changes, and all of a sudden, just the movie kind of stops, and it goes into real slow-mo. And, and, and usually they're kind of like, they're scanning, they're absorbing, they're about to start doing something, but everything slows down in that moment. I've had a few of those moments in my life. One, I'm going to try to get this story out as quickly as possible because I think this happened to Saul in this moment. Uh, I used to work for Kilgore Fire Department uh, years ago. Uh, so this is probably about six or seven years ago. We ran on a call. It was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was driving at the time, which means that I drive the fire truck, and I make the water go out of it. Easy enough, right? Uh, and, and so it was a fire. We go down the street. It was right in my district, like just a few streets away uh, from, our, um, from our station. I remember I'm driving. There's a cop car here on the road. There's a man, a wife, and a kid uh, sitting in the back of their truck, which is kind of weird for that late at night, but whatever. And then there's a fire across the street. We get there. Everybody else gets there. Um, like I said, I'm pumping. We put the, we, we put the fire out. Great. Normal day, right? Normal day for a fireman. Not that big of a deal. So we're wrapping up. We're about 10 minutes away, and my chief, who's in charge, I'm not saying he did anything wrong here, but my chief, who is in charge, he, he walks up to the cop uh, that's there because they normally sit there just to make sure that we're okay during the whole time. And, and he's like, hey, we're going to be gone in like 10 minutes. Like, he's listening on the radio. He's like, I, I hear that y'all got something going on on the other end of town. If you need to catch out and go to that, like, just, just go. We, we got this. It's okay. Cool all normal stuff. Immediately after that, the man that is sitting in the truck uh, starts, gets up. Most people don't see this until a little bit later. And he walks over to a utility vehicle that's about to turn off electricity, pulls out a pistol, knocks the pistol against the window, tells the guy, you might want to get out of here. Starts walking over to his house. His wife ends up, I'm, I'm speeding up the uh, story here. Uh, the wife wrestles the gun to the ground. He goes in his house, puts on, pulls out an AR-15, a couple of pops, uh, I'll finish the story real quick. 
I didn't see any of that. I heard about all of it later. All I heard is as I was putting up the stuff in the fire, is this on the radio. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. Take cover. Take cover. I have just enough time to like start doing something, not nothing really, and then start firing. Stop. And I have that exact kind of moment. See, the thing is, is that I've grown up playing video games and watching movies and seeing hero after hero after hero. And guys, I always thought I'd be the hero. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I, I didn't think like, oh, Parker's going to be great or anything else. But when the time comes, I'm going to answer the call. I'm going to put my life on the line and make it happen. And then that moment. A moment of clarity, a moment when truth was revealed to me, and I realized that's not me. Because the first thing I thought about instead of go, 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 is I thought of a little girl, woman, that I loved very dearly, and the only thing I could think of was live Live, live, because you're going to go home to her today. Shots are still ringing out. And in a moment of clarity, I mean, this happened like that. I realized what was true and what was important to me, and I knew what I had to do. And with unparalleled efficiency uh, for myself that I will never have again, I, un I unhooked everything I could and tried to get as many people as possible onto that fire truck so we could get out of there. Luckily, so we had a fire marshal there. He shot the guy. He lived. We patched him up. He's in jail. That's great. None of that really matters. The, the, the point of the story is that moment, that moment of truth and that moment of clarity where you realize everything. And I think Paul had that. Take two steps back so we can come back in it. Paul is moving towards Damascus in his pride and his arrogance, but in a lie. He thinks he loves God, and he thinks he's serving God, but he doesn't. He knows the scriptures. He's given his whole life in dedication to God, everything, everything he's given to him. But he's living a lie. And then in this moment, he encounters God in the flesh, in his glory, and he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What? Who are you, Lord? How am I persecuting anybody? And then he hears, I am Jesus. Stop. What? No, this can't be right. No, I mean, I know I'm encountering the glory of God here and now, and it's Jesus? What? I hate those people. Those people are killing my religion. Those people are destroying everything that I'm good at. They're destroying everything that I hold dear. And you're telling me that the truth is Jesus? And in that moment, all of this stuff starts clicking into place for him. And I'm not saying he has the right answers. And I'm not saying he has the right truths. But his world is crashing down, and he sees all of this in absolute clarity. I am Jesus. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he would never be the same. 
And he doesn't just say, I am Jesus. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am God in the flesh. And you are attacking me when you attack those under me. Jesus holds up before Paul a mirror to himself. Actually, let's go back on that. Jesus is holding up before Paul a mirror to himself. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody do an emergency heart surgery. What they do is they cut right here, and they splay open the heart so they can get in there as quick as possible. He is What Jesus has done, he's, he's holding a mirror up to Paul. He's letting him watch this. He is splaying open his heart, wide open, and he's saying, look at yourself as I see you. Look at yourself in the truth. Look at your arrogance. Look at your pride. Look at this persecution that it's all leading to. Look at the lies that you believe in. Look at the uh, ability that you think you have. And see yourself in your wretchedness and in your sin and how it is pushing yourself away from the God that you say that you love and that you serve. Paul is made to reckon with himself in this moment, with who he really is outside of Jesus Christ. And in that, Paul has the one response outside of repentance. I would say after repentance that every single one of us should have. He's coming undone. I got nothing. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, who am I even? Like, every category is being broken down. And so he responds, what shall I do, Lord? I don't have anything. I'm not anybody. I, I, I had an idea. I was living for myself. But in light of this, in light of your glory, in light of your power, if, if what you're saying is true, if you've come back in resurrection power, what do I do? Where do I go? What shall I do? Jesus didn't make the whole path clear for him. In fact, I wouldn't say he even consoled him immediately. He just told him this. Now get up and go into the city, the city where you were going to go breathe out murder and rip these families apart. Go to that city where these people are probably already expecting you. That's it. I'll tell you what to do after that. And he did just that. And he was so reckoned, so wrecked by this experience. I, I can only think of the emotion and the feelings and the thoughts that he had for these next three days 
I'm assuming praying and whatever he was doing. That he could not eat or drink anything. And he got no relief until what I would consider a dear friend came to him with healing. My question for you today, does this story, these facts, whatever we want to call it, does it do anything to you? Let me be more specific. Do you recognize that? What's up there? Every single step. Do you recognize that in your walk and in your faith? Because there are some things up there that I think are requirements to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. In order for us to become a follower of Jesus Christ, they don't have to look as dramatic as this, first of all. Let's lay that down. This is something that could happen quietly over months or years or anything else. But have you met Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know him in some way? Does he do something to you? Once again, maybe not like that, but have you had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ that has moved you into repentance? Has he opened your heart, revealed the sin that is in your life? Has he wrecked you in the person that you are, in your flesh, and in your worldly self? Have you had an encounter with him? Josh, if you don't mind, you can come up. The thing is, I know we sit in the church, and we're filled with the people of, full of a lot of opinions, and ideas of, of who they are, where they're at, who Jesus is, and, and everything else. But my absolute fear is that there are people in here that, that signed a card 20 years ago when they were a kid, got emotional one time at, at some church camp 30 years ago, and, and then did nothing else after that, and, and, and maybe signed on to something that they didn't quite know, and they don't actually, maybe one of you, you don't actually know the risen Jesus Christ. You don't know what it is to be moved by Him, to be affected by him to meet him in his glory once again not it doesn't have to be as dramatic as that thing is, is that this gospel this Jesus this reckoning this this mirror it doesn't have to be just a one-time thing. In fact, it, not just, it doesn't have to be. It's not just a one-time thing for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for each of us every single day that we live. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis. It is what holds the power in our faith. 
it isn't just from it isn't just here, stay with me now for just a second. It isn't just in the scriptures, because the thing is, is Saul had these in their entirety. He knew them better than any of us. Saul had religion. Saul had discipline. Saul had a perfect memorization of the scriptures. He had God's literal word, but he didn't have Jesus. In Ephesians 2.9 it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can never do anything to to deserve salvation. The best we have is not good enough to meet the Lord's holy standards. We experience forgiveness of sin. We find peace with God. We have the promise of heaven and become possessors of everlasting life by trusting the Lord Jesus and in Him alone. It is impossible for any one of us to earn these favors. And listen to me, church. We hear this over and over and over again, and and it's preached like that's just for the new believer. All right, It, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in God right now and you're coming to a salvational knowledge of Him, or if you're an elder of the church and you've been pastoring for 50 years, you are still not good enough without Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you today, do you know him? Can he affect you emotionally? Does he make you excited? Does he make you sad? Does he make you weep? Does he make you want to do something? Do you allow him into your life? Or do you just come on a Sunday morning, sit there like a good little church boy or girl, and then leave home unaffected week after week after week? Because I'm going to tell you, that is not Christianity. There is a power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is a power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is victory in Him. And too many of us, I see person after person, we live in defeat. We live like the the, the battle, there's still an outcome, and we have to fight and fight and fight. It's It's not up to us. He's won the battle, there is no war. We just have to live in Him. We have to believe in Him on a daily basis. We have to have Him. We have to hold Him dear. We have to seek after Him. We have to be led by the Spirit. The thing is, church, is here, here's another thing, because I, I feel many of us, we're good there. And we hear this Ephesians verse, and we're good. It, for grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from you. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that we cannot boast. You want to hear the verse after that in verse 10? It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. God has not only saved you from your sin, God is also saving you for something. He's saving you and your gifts and your abilities for good things. And those things won't save you, but they are a reaction from Jesus Christ on a daily basis. It's not just from from your salvation experience. It is a reaction from your daily relationship from knowing Jesus Christ and who he is and being wrecked day in and day out by what he's done for you. 
So I'm going to ask again, do you know him? Most of you, I feel like you do. And so I'll ask a little different way. Do you allow yourself to experience him? Do you seek after him? Do you open your heart up enough that he can wreck your shop emotionally and spiritually? And if so, then what are you doing? Are you leading your family? Mom, dad, I, I don't care if it's, it's a sixth grade boy. Are you leading in your family? Because there's a major difference in authority and leadership. Authority are people at the top. You can lead from the bottom. Does your heart break when you see a broken world? And is your response not to vote the right way? Or get involved in some other political thing or anything else. But when you see the broken world, do you want to go and change it? Do you want to go speak truth into people that don't know it? Do you want to go speak truth into people that hear it? We're called to go and make disciples. We're called to love each other. We're called. The, the, the purpose that we have on this earth is to represent God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, His Son. And it's through the Spirit. Do you know Him today? And if so, what are you doing? Stand up, let's pray. Prayer team, if y'all want to come up or whoever we have here. Guys, we're going to take a, a few minutes with God. Whether it's you, yourself, you take your family, whatever you do. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I ask that you just don't listen to me. You're not affected by anybody that's around you. But just, just take this moment to seek God, to ask Him into your heart, to ask Him into your life, to put your life and your family and your job and your finances, the totality of who you are underneath the authority, rule, and dominion of Lord Jesus Christ. To tell Him, I'm yours. Use me however you want to. I'm yours.
God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for just the ability to speak your word openly. I thank you for your Holy Spirit moving and doing what only he can do. Once again, this is an opportunity to actually pray yourself or over your family. God, I ask that you move in my heart in a way that I, I don't have a context for. God, that you grant me a sensitivity to your spirit that I don't currently have. God, I pray that you open your word in a way that, that just completely points to the gospel through Jesus Christ. God, I don't always want to seek you in my flesh and in temptations. Sometimes I even run away from you. God, please forgive me. God, lead me into you. Stir within my heart a deep affection for you and your son. Stir within my heart. God, affect me emotionally when I don't feel it. And God, when I don't feel it, give me a consistency and reminder of your love and your grace. Remind me that you're always there. Open my heart to you. Lead me into your way everlasting. God, open a path ahead of me. God, you don't have to reveal the whole thing, but just give me the next step in my service for you. Because you paid the price for me, and I'm giving myself fully to you. Even in spaces that make me uncomfortable, in ways that I don't want to be used, God, I am yours. God, lead me into your way, because I can't find it there myself. Convict me of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of the sin and the shame that he bore for me. And the victory that I hold through him. God, we love you. Jesus, we worship you. May we do nothing outside of you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.